You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's November 22nd. A new RAND report examines what would happen if Americans could buy into Medicare at age 50. Specifically, the authors looked at how opening Medicare to 50- to 64-year-olds would affect insurance coverage and individual market premiums in the U.S. They found that this shift would lower health care premiums for the group of new Medicare enrollees, but it could increase costs for younger people who obtain coverage on the health insurance exchanges created by the Affordable Care Act. Here's why. For most 50- to 64-year-olds, the Medicare buy-in would be less expensive than a traditional plan on the federal exchange. In fact, the authors estimate that total out-of-pocket health spending would fall, on average, by 16-35% to for those who move from ACA exchange coverage to the Medicare buy-in. But because younger people who are already in the exchange tend to be less healthy, when older adults leave that market, the pool of people who remain in the exchange will be smaller and relatively expensive given their age. This is what would lead to higher premiums, an estimated 3 to 9% increase for young people who are in the ACA exchanges. Notably, the authors found that this buy-in would have little to no effect on total health insurance enrollment. Most presidential candidates and many states have proposed plans to address climate change. What do voters need to know to determine whether these proposals can make a difference? RAND's Robert Lempert has identified three things to look for. First, plans should address every sector of the economy and include both climate change mitigation and adaptation. Think of it this way. Every sector of the economy, transportation, housing, industry, agriculture, energy, spews climate-altering greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. So, if a plan doesn't address all of these culprits, then it can't be taken seriously. The same goes for a plan that focuses only on reducing emissions. That's what climate experts call mitigation. An effective plan will also lay out steps for adaptation, building resilience to help deal with the future effects of climate change. Second, any approach should have a plan B in the likely event that something goes wrong. Wind, solar, electric cars, and all-electric houses are often held up as the preferred options for climate salvation. But according to Lempert, a serious climate plan also needs to pursue other possibilities, like nuclear, carbon capture, or zero-carbon gas, for example. These alternative alternatives could help fill the gaps if one of the preferred options fails to meet expectations. Third, and finally, plans should account for what Lempert calls the unstoppable and cascading process of change that will result from taking serious climate action. Offering ambitious future targets for decarbonization and climate resilience is definitely a good start, says Lempert. But unless a climate plan, one, is comprehensive, two, includes contingency plans, and three, opens the floodgates for change, It cannot and should not be taken seriously. More than 2.8 million antibiotic-resistant infections occur each year in the U.S., and more than 35,000 people die as a result. These numbers, released by the CDC last week, highlight the growing threat of drug-resistant superbugs. 
A recent brand study analyzed what would happen if the threat is not addressed. In this doomsday scenario, the world population could be 444 million people lower by 2050. Failing to act could also result in $125 trillion in lost global GDP. But as the authors of the report have noted, there are ways we can respond. One is to encourage more research into new antimicrobial drugs to replace drugs that superbugs have rendered ineffective. Another way is to improve how existing drugs are used. Developing faster and less expensive diagnostic tools would help doctors identify infections and prescribe the appropriate drug. Accurate prescribing helps avoid the needless use of antibiotics, which could help prevent more resistance on the part of bacteria. But if we do nothing, as our research shows, that could devastate the world economy and pose a deadly threat to humankind. For weeks, anti government protesters have been taking to the streets in Iraq. Some Americans believe that this uprising suggests that the Iraqi public is tired of Iranian influence in its affairs, and so the protests will deliver a blow to Tehran in the region. However, RAN experts say this may not be the case. This view is the product of seeing events in the Middle East through a single lens U.S. Iranian competition. According to our experts, the bigger story of these protests is not who's up and who's down between Washington and Tehran. Instead, it's the fact that yet another Arab public has taken to the streets demanding change. The situation in Iraq is the 11th time that mass protests have rocked a country in the region since 2010. And even if the protesters succeed in toppling the government in Baghdad, it's unwise to believe that they will also throw the Iranians out. Helping to accomplish U.S. objectives. Our experts say that is a fantasy. A months long standoff between Vietnam and China in the South China Sea has finally drawn to a close. The dispute concerned Vanguard Bank, a contested reef in the Spratly Island chain, southeast of Vietnam. Rand's Derek Grossman recently wrote about this latest drama in the South China Sea, taking stock of how Hanoi's strategy fared in countering Chinese coercion. The approach was vintage cooperation and struggle, he says. Vietnam cooperated with China quite a lot over the course of the dispute. In fact, Hanoi reportedly attempted to engage Beijing at least 40 times. This cooperation delivered, at best, a neutral result. At worst, It was counterproductive. As for the struggle part of the strategy, Grossman says that Vietnam's efforts to name and shame China accomplished nothing. This is why it may be time for Vietnam to consider introducing more struggle and less cooperation to match an increasingly confident and assertive Beijing. One way to do this would be for Hanoi to elevate its ties with Washington. This would signal that Vietnam and the U.S. have mutual long term strategic interests, implicitly to challenge China. Vietnam can still cooperate with China, of course, but Beijing would know that future South China Sea crises might draw more than just rhetorical involvement from the U.S. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.orgslash/podcast. We're off next week for Thanksgiving. Have a great holiday, and we'll see you in December.